getting I want to read I'll be dealing with uh, part of the chapter tonight but I want to read especially the seventh verse sixth and seventh verse and then we'll go to the first after you're seated it says wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be you're in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you tonight for the writing of your word, for the things that you have hidden there that we can extract through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray, Father, tonight that you would anoint this word to our lives, to our hearts. Let it become a reality to it, to us. Let it attach itself to us and become a part of us. Father, and might we be encouraged in you and in the way and glorify you in all things, and we thank you for that tonight, and we give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. First epistle of Peter, it sounds like when you read that book, and also right on into the second book that Peter wrote about, it seems as if he was living today, writing about our day, and the things that's transpiring in our lives as Christian people, and there isn't any doubt perhaps he was looking to the end of time and close to the end of time and saw the need. But still, churches went through their ups and downs and Christian people went through their ups and downs and they needed something from the mouth of God's apostles. The books at that time wasn't written and there were several things that the uh, early church, the uh, infant church was undergoing that they simply wasn't able to extract from the scriptures and so God moved, the Spirit of God moved upon Peter and James and John and Paul and several of the others to write and uh, speak to the church of some of the things that was transpiring in their life and that would be transpiring in the life of others as they travel down the road toward the kingdom of God. He makes no secret that these things are going to increase and people are going to need the Word of God. Now, Peter sent this letter to individuals, to those that were scattered, to strangers or the sojourners of the dispersion that evidently had not either come back at the time and knew the gospel message or evidently they had been dispersed after the church had been established. And so he heard of their plight realized that they needed something and so he wrote a letter and with full intent that it be brought to them uh, individuals that were dispersed individuals that had run because of persecution he had something to say to them and he starts off first validifying who he was as he says peter and an apostle of jesus christ uh, telling them who he was, and then the letter to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithany. And then he identifies them, as he said, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ and then he says something that first captivated my attention as he said, Grace unto you. 
And I thought if there ever was a people at that time that needed the grace of God, and then there's something checked me and made me to realize if there ever was a time that we must benefit from the grace of God, it is not of times that's already passed, but it is times uh, that is present. And he says, Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be unto you, and peace be multiplied. How many of you need the peace of God? And they need to multiply it in our life. Jesus said that he didn't come to bring peace on this earth, but division. And then at one time he said, My peace I leave with you. Not like the peace that the world gives, but inside and in him he is saying there is peace. And Peter is praying that the grace of God would envelop them and the long arms of God would go around them and peace would be multiplied in their life that they might exist and they might function in the area that they are living, in the place where they're living and the place where they are spiritually as well as mentally and bodily. And then he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now it is no secret to you that mankind had a hope back in the Garden of Eden when God placed man there and placed him in all perfection and placed him in a perfect place and he himself was perfect needing only one thing and that was to eat from the tree of life and he would be a man that would live forever. And of course, he failed. And when Adam died, we all died. I mean, that which God had begotten and put life before us, and this man failed in his duty before God, and when he died, of course, death came on the land, and were it not for the Lord Jesus Christ, we would know nothing about life. We would sit without God and without hope, and when a loved one left and departed this earth, we'd just say goodbye to them, and nothing else could we plan on. And neither could we know anything about life after death. But because Jesus saw that which he created and that which he loved. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't care, saints. I don't care how far down we get, how worthless we might seem. God looks down in our eyes and in our face and simply says, I love you. Simply says, I care about you. Simply says, I'm concerned about your life, your spiritual life. And he saw that. And Peter is saying, Blessed be God. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, mercy that amasses, goes past human understanding, that has through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, has begotten us again into a living hope. <laughs> Hallelujah, beyond this veil of tears. I don't know, there's just something inside that have begotten us again. And I underline that word again. I don't know if it says anything to you or not, but it says from the very onset, God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't give up on us. 
from the very onset when he could have marked humanity off, when he could have said, that's it, I'll just wipe the slate clean, I'll give him no chance, I'll start all over again. But instead, he chose to deal with man. For 6,000 years, he dealt with man, still dealing with man, still giving us hope, still instilling in us uh, an abundant love uh, that goes beyond human understanding. And he says, again, I've begotten you. It's going to cost me more this time. It's going to cost me more this time than it did when I formed man from the dust of the earth. You imagine those hands of God, however he done it, I don't know, and used the dust of the earth and formed man. And man became a living soul, and all he had to do was use those hands to form him, then breathe the breath of life into him, and man became a living soul. And then man failed, and God said, I've got to do it again. I've got to some way purchase him. And he's saying in himself, it's going to cost me more this time. I can't just make a man. I've made him. But it's going to cost me my only begotten son. It's going to cost gaping wounds in my hands, wounds in my feet, wounds in my side. And it's going to cost the loss. It's going to cost distraction from humanity. It's going to cost me something, but I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Can you say, amen, I'm going to do it again. I saw him there. I watched him. I knew he had no hope. And I'm going to uh, purchase him again and beget him again and bring him into a lively hope through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not enough. Through the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ and then through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from among the dead. Never been known to happen before. And then he says, I'm going to purchase you I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to beget you again. I'm going to call you sons of God one more time. I'm going to call you my children one more time. Then I'm going to give you an inheritance. Incorruptible. Isn't it strange how man fights for what little he might leave? We struggle sometimes to leave our children a little bit more than we had. We work and we strive and we lay it up in the bank and there's nothing wrong with having money and we lay it up in the bank and sometimes our eyes turn to that and look and say, as the man said, I've filled all my barns, I've got it all taken care of and now that I'm just going to build some bigger ones and fill them and I'm going to sit back and say, soul, take thy knees. And then the scripture says, a voice came and said, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of you. But Jesus is saying, going beyond that, I'm going to go farther than what natural man can accumulate. I'm going to beget you to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, hasn't been touched, or mutilated or defiled by human hands. It's undefiled that fadeth not away. In other words, this is great right now as it was the time he purchased it, 
His blood is still just as strong. His resurrection is still just as great a reality. And it is our inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and it doesn't fade away. It's laid up there, he says, reserved in heaven for you. And I read from one of the older translations in the Bible, a real old one, and it says, reserved in your name. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Reserved in your name. In other words, I have done all of this, and I have reserved something for you, an inheritance, and I put it in your name. I don't know if you catch the significance of that or not, but I think he saw us. I think he named us, and I think he knows who we are, and he's reserved this for us and wrote our name on it and said it belongs to nobody but you. It's yours. Hallelujah. It's mine. If I reserve a motel someplace and somebody comes in and says, I want that room, then they look on that little chart and says, you can't have that room. It's already reserved for host clock. And that guy says, yeah, but look how much I've got, and I'll give you a little bit more than that uh, because I want the room. Well, a reservation is still a reality. And that is mine. Now, it doesn't do me any good if I don't go and stay in the room. Amen? So the reservation here is of no value to us. It's laid aside. His eyes, your name is written down on that, and it says reserved for Brother Gerald Buford. Reserved uh, uh, for Sister Ivy. Reserved for Brother Denzel. Reserved for Brother Gary. Reserved for me. My name is on it. Nobody else can have it. Hallelujah. It belongs to me. My name is there. But I have to make the trip from wherever I'm at to get there. And I've got to get there whenever the reservation says it's good for. And then I've got to sign my name on there. And I've got to say, I'm the guy. Show me your identification. Show me who you are. I pick it out. I give them my social security card or whatever's necessary for identification. And they say, that's your room. You go get it. I've saved it for you since you called in. And I feel like this is the same way. God has reserved an inheritance for us. It's ours. It's there until we make the journey to get there. And when we stand before Him, He's going to say, Show me your identification. Show me who you are. Well, what do you do? You don't pull out a Social Security card and you fill out that card that was bought and paid for out of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, signified and sealed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And you say, This is it. I'm a child of the King. And my name is so-and-so. And He signed my name there and said, It's reserved for me. It belongs to me. Nobody else can take it away from us. Amen? I believe it's going to stay there until we either get there or we have to default. One of the two. And I don't believe, it's going, I don't believe God's going to say, I'm sorry, but I gave your reservation to somebody else. I don't think He's going to say that. I think he's just simply going to say, I'm sorry, but the reservation has run out. You had a certain time to pick this up, and that was at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, you haven't made it at that time. Your reservation is, is, is run out. You don't have it anymore. And then he says, it is reserved uh, for you, are reserved in your name, who are kept, who are kept by the power of God, 
You're never going to be kept any other way. You have to be kept by the power of God. And then it says true faith. In other words, faith, that is faith, has to be tried. And that's where the rub comes. Is when God comes to try our faith. How much do you really believe that He has reserved for you an inheritance in the kingdom of God that's greater than any wealth you might amass in this world? How much do you believe that His power can keep you if you keep believing by faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time? And then He says, Wherein you greatly rejoice. Seems to me like He's trying to tell us that we ought to have some rejoicing in our heart because He has begotten us again unto a lively hope and to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away and has our name on it in the heavens in the kingdom of God. And He says, because of that, you greatly rejoice. I like that first part, but there ought to be some way of ridding us of the last portions that He wrote. He said, though now for a season. Have you ever looked at that? Though now for a season, if need be. Have you ever wondered what that was and why it was? You're supposed to rejoice in everything that He has just promised you. Because He's begotten you again, let's go over that carefully, into living hope for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, begotten you to and left you an inheritance, undefiled, incorruptible, fadeth not away, reservation into the heavens with your name on it, has kept you by His power to your faith in Him to believe that He is the Deliverer and going to be revealed in the last time wherein He says you greatly rejoice. Even though for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now it might be well if somebody could explain how you're going to rejoice and be in heaviness through manifold temptations. I'm sure if I could find how that could be accomplished, my life would be more satisfactory and yours would too. But evidently it must have been possible, and the Apostle Peter must have been hitting at the root of a problem that was threatening to destroy those of the dispersion, because he first had to get them to see what they had, and what it cost God Almighty to give it to them. And then he says, you ought to rejoice in these things. Even though if it is necessary, I'm, I'm not sure when you look at that, what does he mean if need be you're in heaviness through manifold temptation? Is he actually saying that there is a need in individual spiritual lives to have to undergo heaviness and manifold temptations? I think in spite of the uh, perfectness that is portrayed through all of this and uh, what people say as negative thoughts and all of this, I'm sure that's exactly what he's saying. I hardly see how you can make anything else out of it because he said there has to come a time in our lives, every one of us, where when heaviness through manifold temptation for a reason, now, the devil would like to get us to say there is no reason for what is happening to us. 
And many times he would like for us to give him the credit for what is happening in our lives. And most of us do, don't we? Amen, Brother Hoshka. Most of us give him the credit for what is happening in our life. Uh, you hear people say, well, the old devil's been after me all day. Bless his holy name. And then we look at the heaviness, a burden. My God, sometimes you, you get in your prayer closet. Sometimes you get away and the burden of the thing lights upon you. And you wonder, my God, how much more weight can I carry? How much more of this load is going to go on my frail shoulders? God, I, I have no way of doing that. And temptations from every corner and every side is offered us as a way out. Amen, as a way out. You never get under a heavy load for souls by what the devil doesn't offer you a way out of this. You never get burdened and in heaviness in these life's pressures at what the devil offers you a way out of this. But friend, God has not offered us a way out of it, but he has offered us a way through it. And he said there's a need in our lives, and that need is the trial of your faith. In other words, how much do you believe God? Just how far will your belief in God take you? Just how far can that death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in your, li your life, how far can that take you? How much can you believe? And that's what he's saying, I've got to find out. Because he said, I reserved these things for you, and I want to find out. Whether you're going to get there or not with your name to claim that which I have reserved for you. I realize a lot of people say, well, I've got a reservation in hand. Well, he's got your name on it, all right. If you've been baptized in his name, you've got the Holy Ghost. You've got your name on it, all right, but you ain't there yet. I'm going to say it again, you're not there yet. You've still got a journey to make. You've still got a race to run. You've still got to get to that place where the reservation is. And you've still got to claim it. And he says it's a necessity if need be. Now there's times in our life when these things are needed whether we want to agree with it or not. Whether we want to accept that fact or not, there's times when these things are needed at the trial of our faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. Now have you ever noticed what he's saying here? In other words, gold in any form is precious. But when you try it in the fire, it burns out all the dross and all the impurities in that gold, and it is pure gold. has nothing like this, nothing any more expensive or nothing any more costly than pure gold where all the dross has been burned out of it. And yet Jesus is saying that the trial of your faith is worth more than that pure gold. I don't know how you feel about that. I don't even know where we stand on that sometimes. I wonder sometimes if we can catch a glimpse of what he's saying. What is the trial of our faith worth to us? What is it going to do to us? Though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying if you want honor, 
and praise and glory when Jesus appears, then there's going to have to be a trial of faith somewhere in your life. Peter talks about that in another place. been running down the road and been running good. Race is coming along fine. Your spiritual life hasn't hadn't uh, had any setbacks. And uh, things have been going good naturally and going good spiritually. And everything is just fine. And then all at once, as though something strange has taken over your life, the bottom falls out of everything. Nothing goes right. Any place, anywhere. And you turn around and look, what's happened to and Peter answers that over here. We don't usually get that. But he says, don't think it that strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But then he has the audacity to say for us to rejoice. Shout, saints. Don't sit there and look at me. Shout. Rejoice. Things not going so good. Things are hard in your life. Things are bad. Despondency, discouragement, every place you look, it doesn't seem like your life has evolved in any place. Uh, you went backwards rather than forwards. And you look at this thing and it's so strange because yesterday I was doing just fine. There wasn't any problems whatsoever. Everything was just fine. Uh, everybody was fine. And then all at once, had a lot of friends, don't have them anymore. Things were going just fine. Had money. And I didn't get rich, but I had some money. And then all at once, none of these things are there. And then he says, when this thing happens to you, why don't you just rejoice? <laughs> why don't you just be happy? <laughs> Sometimes when I read after these individuals, I wonder what they was made out of. I wonder what kind of individuals they actually were. That stand there and tell you that, that you're going to go through a fiery trial and you're getting burned and everything that is happening to you that ought not to happen and all the happiness, so to speak, of this earthly life has been taken away from you and yet they look at you and said, now what you need to do is rejoice. But now listen to what he says. He said he didn't tell us to rejoice about the trial necessarily, but he says rejoice insomuch that you are partakers of Christ's suffering. Suffering with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said one time, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what Christ endured, stripes is only his back, I've had them on mine. All the disappointments that Christ experienced, I have experienced. All, all of the, the failures of luxury that he had, where he had a, didn't have a house to live in and a stone for a pillar, I've had the same thing. And Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he had looked one time and thanked God for the privilege of being able to suffer in like manner as Jesus suffered. And realized it wasn't the end of the world after all. And realized actually it just might be the beginning of some good things in our life once we're able to come to grips with what's happening in our lives and what's transpiring in our life says, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, be happy about it. <laughs> oh, God, if somebody looks at it cross-eyed, somebody says a few hateful things about us, we get down in the mouth. Yeah, we do. 
We, we, we really get down on ourselves. Some of them, some of us get so mad we just quit church. <laughs> just won't come anymore if that's the way it is. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. And all the time, Christ is trying to test our faith. How strong is it? How much do you really believe me? How much are you going to trust me? And when I start leading you through the valley, I think uh, Psalmist David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley on the shadow of death. That doesn't necessarily mean material death or natural death. It means life-threatening instances. He says, if I'm walking through that, thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And we still have the rod and the staff of the Lord Jesus Christ to get into and find comfort in Him. That we can't find it by existing circumstances. Get inside here. That word is just as good now as it was 2,000 years ago has the ability to bring us through. When he said, uh, you need to be found in this with praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, he said, Whom not seen, having not seen your love. Anybody ever seen Jesus Christ? Then how in the world can you love Him? Amen. Having not seen your love, in whom, though now you see Him not, yet believing... You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now that can be taken two ways. I'd rather take it the other way. It's hard to see Jesus in the midst of trials. Amen? It's hard to see why He would even be involved in some of these phases of our life. And it's hard to see Him in that. It's hard to embrace Him. Because you want to scream out, God, what am I doing here? What are you doing to me anyway? Where are you at? And we feel for Him when He can't find Him. We search for Him in prayer, and sometimes the heaven is brass, and it don't seem like He hears a thing we're saying. And He's trying to tell us by that, look, don't walk by sight. Just walk by faith in me. Believe where I might. Believe you're a child of God, and I'm not going to lead you into anything that's going to destroy you. If I lead you into temptation, I'm going to lead you out of it just as sure as I led you in it. I'm going to see you through. And not only am I going to do that, but you are going to be better after you come out and you wash when you went in if you can embrace this Word. God's got some place for us to travel, and yet He loves us so much that if He sees us failing in our trial of faith, He withdraws and pulls us back again. But someplace, somewhere, in order for our faith to really be matured, we're going to have to get a hold of His hand, close our eyes to the things of this world, and say, lead on, lead on, lead on, Lord Jesus, lead me to that everlasting heavenly home, lead me through the valley on the mountaintops, lead me through despair, despondency, discourage, lead me, Jesus. Until He finally leads us through the trial of our faith. Notice it doesn't say trials. We're always going to have trials, but there is a trial that is above any of the trials we've ever had that matures us and brings us into the place that Jesus wants us in, believing with the ability to rejoice in Him. And He said, we don't see Him, but we love Him. And though you see Him not right now, yet you believe Him. 
It's easy to believe Him when you can shout, isn't it? It's easy to just look up when the Spirit of the Lord uh, starts at the top of your head and goes to the, to the bottom of your feet and you just feel little goosebumps or whatever you call them uh, come up all over you and you know God is so close that He just touched you. It's easy to say, God, I believe you. But when we don't see Him and when we don't feel Him and when He doesn't seem to be anywhere around, he says, you're going to have to believe. And while you're believing, you're going to have to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith or the final result of your faith. You know, as far as we're concerned, sometimes this is just an ongoing thing. But if I'm reading this right, there is a final result of our faith, even the salvation of our souls. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't lay it down. Don't turn it loose. Just because things don't look so good, don't turn it loose. Keep hold of it because there's a final end to this someplace. And don't forget, he said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you and I'm with you always, even until the end. Jesus, where you at? Where you at, God? I can't find you. I don't find any place, only in his word he said it. He said it once, that should be enough. He said, I won't never, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I'll be with you always, even until the end, or until you find your reservation and get there where it's at. I'm going to be with you. But some way we've got to believe that we've been begotten again with a lively hope and we're His children. We've got to believe that. That's the only thing that's going to take us through. And somewhere, somehow, we're going to have to get our eyes off fellow man and get them on Jesus. Pray for them, let them live their life, have their little idiocracies and idiosyncrasies, have little oddities and love them just the same, but realize your salvation is dependent upon how much you believe God. Strong is your faith. How much will it, how much will it accept? What, how, how far will it go with you? And that's the question Peter is asking. Then he talks about this salvation. See, this is an ongoing thing with Peter. Begotten again, he'll kept by the power of God into salvation, ready to be revealed. You'll greatly rejoice because of that salvation, though you're uh, for a season, if need be. You're in heaviness, manifold temptations, a trial of your faith, this strange thing happening to you, and you get a hold of God, whom you haven't seen, you believe Him just the same. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, and because you do this, you receive the end of your salvation. And he says, salvation of which the prophets have inquired. This is an old thing. The prophets inquired about salvation. What was it going to be like? What was it going to be like? God, how are you going to do this thing? You know, they knew about it all the way long that it was going to happen. They inquired. The Bible says they searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. They realized that which they saw far off. They was not actually going to be able to see that they prophesied of it concerning you, Peter saying. I think it needs to be present to you. They saw that thing. They inquired about it. They searched diligently trying to understand, God, what would you do? And then it says, 11th verse, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them which was in them they could have known nothing had it not been for the Spirit of Christ dwelt in them. 
And it was that spirit which was identifying what was going to be given to you and I. Uh, a crown of life, an inheritance incorruptible that paid us not away. And they wanted to see about those things. And so they inquired and testified beforehand about the glory that should follow. Twelve verse, and to whom it was revealed. Hath not unto themselves, but unto us did they minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now we sit here sometimes despondent, discouraged, and wondering where our next spiritual meal, so to speak, how when we're going to see daylight again, and what is going to happen to our life, and all at the same time, the angels in heaven is wanting to know about this salvation you have. Amen. Oh, glory! Hallelujah! Amen. They're designed to look into this thing. What a new thing. They've never had need for redemption. And they're trying to understand how is he going to do this thing. Two thousand years ago it happened. Thirty some odd years ago it happened to me. I don't know how long ago had it happened to you. And the angels is wanting to look into this thing. They're wanting to see the glory that's in it. And they're wondering how can this happen. Hallelujah. And by whom it was revealed. I like that. And then it says, because of this, he carries right on with it. Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind. In other words, you've got to get a roof on your house. You've got to get your thinking straightened out. If you can't get your thinking straightened out, you can't get nothing else straightened out. Not very good English, but it's still truth. Just the same. And he said, because of all this, and the beauty you have, and the promise you have, and the reservations you have, and the trial that God's going to take you through, and see you through, and because of angels want to see about it, and what you have, you gird up your loins of your mind. You begin to think. And look past this hour and see what was behind you, what's ahead of you, and what is in reality here with you right now. You are the sons of the living God, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Hallelujah. The saints of the living God. A peculiar people. And he says you ought to be happy about that anyway. But he says you gird up your mind and loins of your mind and you be sober. You be serious about this thing. You try to uncover some of the reasons why you ought to be happy. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he says, as obedient children. In other words, you just can't be scallywags. You've got to be obedient to his words. You've got to listen. You can't be rebellious. Not fashioning yourself according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he has called you, but he that has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. How in God's name am I ever going to be holy? How am I ever going to make it? And yet, God tells us right real fast and right real good, the only thing holy about us and ever will be holy 
until he comes and fashions our body like his glorious body. The only holy thing about us is that seed which is in there, which is an earnest of our inheritance, a power of the Holy Ghost in our life, that is holy. And that will always be holy, and it will never be defiled. The rest of us may perish, but that belongs to God. Hallelujah. And if you call on the Father who without respect of person judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear are in respect. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions of your fathers. But he said, you always keep in mind that you are who you are. And your promises are what they are because you was born by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot who really was foreordained from the foundation of this world that was manifest in these last times just especially for you. Hallelujah. Just especially for you. Can you lift your arms and say, thank God for the familiarity that I have with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who by him do believe in God had raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Then he says in trying to close this chapter, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfaith love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. In other words, there's a charge there. After having been bought and paid for, having an incorruptible crown, an incorruptible inheritance. And after God is seeing you through the trials and all of this, He says the trial of your faith is going to be measured and come to the full climax of the whole thing as you exhibit pure love with a pure heart undefiled to your fellow man. Laying heavy on us, isn't it? And he says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And then he says, for all flesh is as grass. All the glory of man is the flower of grass. Man can rise, pompous pride, make his millions, fix his storehouses, soul be required of him, and he leaves nothing. But a man of God can come in, be clothed with the beauty of holiness and the power of Almighty God. Have a reservation, thank God, and we pass beyond this veil of tears and we go to the grave. Nobody, nobody can cancel our reservation. It's still their past until Jesus comes, fits the eastern skies, and we rise to meet him in the air. And he says, your reservation has been there all of this time. Saints of old have laid down from their rest and they're waiting the morning of the resurrection with that reservation signed in their name. He says it's yours. He gave it to you. Flesh is as grass. Glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth. The flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And then he says, And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So the greatest thing I know of in closing tonight is the fact that we have been begotten again.
to a lively hope, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in our name, kept by the power of God through our faith to believe in Him, under the salvation of our souls being revealed to the last time. Though right now, if need be, we're in heaviness, manifold temptations, things in our life we don't understand, at the trial of our faith being much more precious than gold tried in the fire. Thank God might come out on the other side as pure gold, having witnessed to the world and to ourselves that God was enough, that God was enough, that we needed nothing else, only the hand of the Master and His Word and the belief in God. It was enough. It was enough. It will be enough. And it is enough. Well, I agree. It's not enough for some. But in the final end, nobody's going to be able to sign your name. The best friends you've got not going to be able to sign your name to that reservation. When you come to that place, it's going to be all up to you. Reserved. Your name, who are you anyway? I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. And my name is so-and-so. You'll find it on the register. Prove it. <laughs> prove it. Well, there's a lot of times we don't have too much proof. And that's where Jesus comes in. He comes, stands along beside us, says, yeah, I know them. I walked with them through the valley. I heard them rejoice. Heard them cry at times. I saw their weeping in the midnight hour, and I saw them. And I heard them cry out to me, and I came and stood by their bedside. And I took their hand, and I healed the wounded hurt in their heart. And they believed me. And they came out of that, and then they walked through another one. The valleys we walked through together, the times we have shared together in agony, and all of this, yes, I know them. That's their name, all right. Let them in. Let them have their inheritance. Hallelujah. Stand with me and lift your hands to the heaven. And let's rejoice, because he did that for us. Can you do that? Good exercise. Bodily exercise profited a little. Thank God, but spiritual exercise in God. The good things we receive the Master, glorifying His precious name and realizing what He's done for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I, I'm ashamed of myself sometimes. I really am. I'm ashamed of myself sometimes the way I disbelieve Him. The way I fail to realize that He wrote these things in there for me. They belong to me. They're personally mine. And friend, when nothing else will work for me, the Word of God is security in my life. Hallelujah. A lot of you know that little comic strip, Charlie Brown and Lions has got his blanket. That's his security blanket. Well, I've got mine. I have to have it. I can't make it without it. Every place I go, I gotta have my security blanket. Thank God I gotta have it when I sit down to meal. I gotta have it when I go to bed. I gotta have it when I'm up on the mountaintop. It's the only thing in this world that I feel secure with. It's God's Word. And not just because it's a book, because it's breathed upon. Because it becomes alive. Hallelujah. It becomes alive. I read it. And it jumps out, and it jumps on me, and it jumps in me, and it makes me to realize what I've got a hold of. Praise the Lord. You can tell I'm not done, but I'm going to quit. Hallelujah. Because of Him, 
because of Jesus. Hallelujah. Anyone need prayer tonight while all heads are bowed? Eyes are closed. You need prayer? You're spiritually down. You're mentally down. You're physically down. Whatever. God is here to meet your needs. You can find it where you're at. But if you want prayer, somebody concerned about you, we want to pray.